Well, if you want to make someone feel small, um, ask them to share on your opening day at your church. Uh, it is an honor to be here and to fellowship with you, and I greet you in the name of Christ, who is the only reason why we have a reason to gather. And so it is in that name that I come to you and give you Christian greetings. I hope Carrie's reputation will not be tarnished from this point forward. Um, as probably most of you know, he is my brother, and that is why we are here. My wife, Rachel, um, and our son, Philip, and we are expecting. I am one of the pastors at Truth and Grace Mennonite Church in Elnora, Indiana. Um, so that's just a little bit of me. I've been preaching through Galatians... And I am in currently in Galatians chapter 3, um, and we will be looking at verses 15 through 25. The title of the sermon is Promise versus Law. Promise versus Law. I would say growing up, I would not have had a very good understanding of the law and its purpose I would not have had a good understanding of Christ and the cross. And I think one of the greatest blessings as a Christian is when we come to understand the law and its purpose and we understand Christ and the work that he did on the cross on our behalf our standing before God in Christ. And one of the greatest dangers is to view the law wrongly and to use it wrongly. In Galatians, Paul is writing to a specific people in a specific region, specific region, not the Pacific region, the specific region, and he's dealing with false teachers who are preaching a salvation by works. And he deals with the fact that they're leaving the gospel for another gospel, which is not another gospel, because there is no other gospel, as he says in chapter 1. He defends his apostolic ministry, chapter 1 and 2, that he's in agreement with the church, uh, we can see in Acts 15 the Jerusalem council and how they dealt with some of the issues of circumcision and salvation um, by faith. And we come into chapter 3 and Paul, in amazement and sorrow in a sense, says how foolish you Galatians are. How foolish you are, who has bewitched you, who has led you astray, was not Christ clearly proclaimed before you? And then he goes on to say, did, did you receive the Spirit by works? Um, 
We're all baptized into one spirit when we come to faith in Christ. His spirit indwells in us. Did you receive that by works or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, are you sanctified now through the works of the law? Or are you sanctified by the continuing work of the spirit in your heart? Have you, verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, and, and the word suffering there has the meaning of experience, or have you experienced the infilling of the Spirit, the ongoing work of the Spirit? Have you experienced all those things in vain to now think that you're being completed by the law? And he goes on then to speak of the gospel being preached to Abraham in verse Eight, um, the law being a curse in verse 10. No one is justified by the law in verse 11. Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law, verse 13. And the blessing of Abraham coming upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus and the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so we come to verse 15, and I want to read verses 15 through 25. Um, if it's a little bit different, I don't know what all versions everybody uses here. I am reading from the New King James, so it may be slightly different than what you're reading. Brethren, I speak in a manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. In this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions to the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. I've somewhat already given an introduction, but I have to follow my notes. Um, I'm not a very good extemporaneous speaker. 
Uh, but to kind of illustrate this, in our modern times, Google has become the way of answering our questions and settling arguments. <laughs> when I have a question, I will grab my phone and ask Google to answer it. Often the question involves the comparing of two things, F-16 versus F-15, fighter jet. Uh, if, if you have kids, Honda versus Odyssey, or, uh, Honda Odyssey versus Toyota Sienna. Um, and who hasn't uh, wins and fails on YouTube? And so, in looking at promise versus law, and I know it's, time's already slipping away, we need to understand that this is not promise and competition to law. Paul clearly says in here that the promise and the law are not at odds. Um, in verse 21 he says that it's the law against the promises of God and he uses the most emphatic Greek negative. Certainly not. He, you can't get any more emphatically negative. So I, I don't want this to, in your initial understanding of promise versus law, to think of them as contrary. Rather, we need to think of them in their proper place or what they serve, the purpose that they serve. And we won't be turning to Google for the answer. So Paul's been making the point here in chapter 3 that the blessing of Abraham, that is the promise of Christ, is only received by faith not by works. Paul is astonished that the Galatians are turning to another gospel, which is not another gospel, to some form of works, aka the law, summed up in circumcision. He also mentions observing of days and the months, the seasons and years. In other words, the ceremonial law, the law of Moses, uh, clearly he's not saying we shouldn't observe the moral law, but even that is in this and that the law doesn't save us. Seeking to follow the law doesn't save us. And so Paul expounds that Abraham believed God and was justified in verse 6 of chapter 3, that in Abraham all nations would be blessed in verse 8, and that's the prophecy of Christ. And all who would be blessed with Abraham must believe by faith, verse 9, because the law only brings a curse verse 10. And Christ had to become a curse for us that we might be redeemed from the curse or from the law, verse 13. Therefore, by faith in Christ, we receive the blessing of Abraham, justification, and the promised spirit, verse 14. So in our passage today, Paul continues his argument that salvation is by faith and that the giving of the law did not in any way supersede the promise. So I really only have two points, the promise and the law. So what is the promise? The promise is that one of Abraham's descendants would be the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And this is the gospel that was preached to Abraham in verse 8, that in you, the nation's of the world will be blessed. So first we see 
Verse 15, Paul uses two different illustrations. First one is speaking in the manner of men. A covenant, a testament, right? You make a contract. And that contract is binding. And so I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one in alls or adds to it. If you go back to Genesis, God's covenant to Abraham. And so this promise does not die with Abraham. If we had Abraham's grave, we could go see it. But we don't know where Abraham's buried. But this promise does not die with Abraham. It's confirmed by God in the same manner that men agree to a covenant and cannot alter that covenant, but are bound by it. So God promises Abraham that his seed, speaking of Christ, verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So God promises Abraham in you, all the nations of the world would be blessed, your seed, Christ. So that promise does not die with Abraham. The promise is not changed by the law, verse 17. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot cancel out, annul, do away with the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. And why is that? Well, at the end of verse 17, is that if the law annulled the promise, it would make the promise of no effect. It would destroy the promise. And he goes on to say that, verse 18, for if the inheritance is of the law is no longer of promise, and, and that's a problem big, insurmountable problem if the promise is done away with. The Israelites are the prime example of why that's a problem. It's one of disobedience over and over again, of judgment over and over again because they could not keep the law perfectly. So the promise doesn't die with Abraham. It's not changed by the law and it is still in effect. Why? Because God is eternal and his promise to Abraham is binding and it doesn't change. Galatians 4.28 We brethren as Isaac was are the children of of promise. So the question then needs to be asked, why why the law? It would seem that the law is a disadvantage to us. Romans 3:20, by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. So why why the law if if you can't be justified by it, why why do we have a law? Why did God give us the law? When the law is used as a means of salvation, it's described as a yoke on the neck, as Peter says in Acts 15.10, and a yoke of bondage, as Paul says in Galatians 
So why did God give the law? And I think what Paul has in mind here is the ceremonial law. Uh, later, as I said before, he speaks of observing days and months and seasons and years and circumcision. But I think he also has also in view here the moral law. And the reason is, is because this is using the law as a means, right? The Judaizers are saying, yes, Christ is necessary, but you must be circumcised. And to us that sounds quite strange, but if you're a Jew, that is a big thing. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant of God's covenant people. And it was a sign of keeping the whole law. It wasn't merely circumcision. It was a symbol of the law. So Paul has in view here the ceremonial law, all that pertains to the Mosaic covenant. But I think he also has in view here the moral law because Anything other than Christ that serves as a means of our justification and salvation is contrary to the promise. Because the promise was given apart from any law. In fact, it was 450 years before the law. And the promise is Christ. And so we see the promise and then we have here the law. And we, Paul gives a reason here in verse um, 19. He asks, and, and when the Apostle Paul asks a question, he's, he's probably not asking for you to give an answer. Because he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here gives us the answer. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So it was added because of transgressions. What, is, what does that mean? It was added because of transgressions. Well, I think there's a couple other passages and you don't have to turn to them. Um, I'll read them here. I think that illustrate what Paul is meaning when he says that the law was added because of transgressions. Romans 3.20 By the law is the knowledge of sin. So it is through the law that we come to understand our sinfulness. Hebrews 10.3 speaks of sacrifices being made year by year and they were a reminder a consciousness of sin. They never ended. They just continued because the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world had not yet been offered. Romans 5.20 Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So the law entered that the offense might increase or abound. Romans 17.7.13 has then what is good become death to me? That's Paul's question. He's speaking of the law. Certainly not. 
But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, speaking of the law, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The law is good. We are not, therefore our sinfulness just compounds as we come to a better understanding of God and of his law and who he is. And it makes sin appear more and more sinful. So, where there is no law, there is no transgression, Romans 4.15. And sin is not imputed when there is no law, Romans 5.13. So the law is to reveal our sin, to show us our exceedingly sinful state. And so we see here that the law was added because of transgressions. And I think that's bore out as we continue down through here. It was added because transgressions to the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And this is crucial to understand that the law has a purpose. And if we misunderstand its purpose, um, we err greatly. The law was not given to save us. Hebrews 7, 19, for the law made nothing perfect. And the Judaizers in Acts 15 and among the Galatians here were teaching that unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. They were missing the reason for the law. Paul says here, But the law was given to show our exceeding sinfulness. It was added because of our transgressions. It was not given for us to seek to obey it and save ourselves by our own righteousness. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator, speaking most likely of Moses. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. And this is a very complicated verse, so we're not going to try to cover that today. Time is fleeting away. So, we have the law. It's added because of transgressions. And we see uh, in verse 22... Uh, that it condemns all men. And we see in verse 21 that it's not contrary to the promises of God because God didn't give the law in order to save us, knowing that uh, we could not achieve true righteousness by the law, right? For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. God knew when he promised Abraham that salvation would come through the perfect Lamb of God. But he adds the law because of transgressions, show our exceeding sinfulness, and this law condemns all men, verse 22, confines all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so first we see that it condemns all men by imprisoning them. 
It confines all under sin. Romans, right? No one seeks after God. No one is righteous. No, not one. All have forsaken him. It confines all under sin. They are imprisoned by their sin. And not only is the law their prison, but verse 23, the law is their prisoner, or the law is their guard, I should say. The law is the one marching up and down before their cell, keeping them under guard. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. So the law is added because of transgressions, reveals our sin, and it, it confines us, it imprisons us, it guards us, and then finally it tutors us. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, a tutor here is not a nice old lady who likes to teach you your ABCs. Uh, a tutor in this time and place, in this culture, was a very severe taskmaster. Uh, you go into chapter 4, uh, verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by Father, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So what I want to get there is one who is under a tutor is not merely being taught his ABCs, he is essentially a slave. And a tutor was a very severe taskmaster. The son, the heir, could not leave the house without his tutor being there. And he was constantly under the eye and the protection and the guardianship of this tutor to such a degree that the son longed for the day when the tutor went away. That is the law. Therefore, the law was our tutor. And it serves a purpose. It is not evil. It is good. And the purpose is to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by the law. No, that we might be justified by faith. And after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. No longer under tutor, no longer in prison, no longer bound, but free. Finally, I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 3.
So here in our text this morning, not this morning, this afternoon, we see the law and the promise working together. The law cannot and never was intended for the means of our salvation. The law cannot and never was that's kind of a run-on sentence. The law cannot save us, and it was never intended to save us. God gave the promise, and God gave the law. They're not contrary to one another. The promise offers hope, right? The promise is Christ, the hope of our salvation. And in, in him is all the wisdom, knowledge. Peter says that by these great, exceeding promises, the knowledge of Christ. That is our hope. So, God gave the promise. God gave the law. The promise offers hope while the law points us to that hope as it reveals our inability and our sinfulness, our inability to keep the law in our sinful, rebellious hearts. For in the law there is no hope but only condemnation. Because the law is perfect and we are sinful. If you want to look at John chapter 3 verse 35 and 36. These are some of the last words we have recorded of John the Baptist. He would go on not too much longer to be imprisoned and then beheaded. And this is what John has to say of the promise. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We only have two choices. We will either believe the promise and have life, or we will seek to be justified by the law as the Pharisees, <clears throat> and the wrath of God remains on us. Jesus said earlier in chapter 3, when he says, 3.16, everyone knows this, God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everybody knows those verses, loves those verses. But if you go on to read, Jesus says he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the promise. Salvation by faith apart from our works. So he who believes the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. This is our hope. This is the hope, as Brother Phil was saying, of the neighborhood. Is the preaching 
of the promise of salvation in Christ alone, by faith alone. Let's pray. Father, it is our privilege to be called your children. And as the Apostle Paul goes on to say at the end of chapter 3, that we are all sons of God, we who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. That we are heirs of the promise, heirs of the hope of eternal life. So it is our privilege to have raised our voices earlier in praise to you because of that hope. And it is our privilege now in opening your word and, and seeing the truth of our salvation in the promise. And it is only our hope because we can all look into our hearts and see how contrary we are to your law so often. And so we cling to Christ as our hope while we look into your perfect law and long to be like you. We ask and pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.